Um, by the way, this is my wife, my lovely wife, Desiree. Desi, to everybody that knows and loves her. She's over here. Um, anybody else wearing gloves in here because you're freezing to death in here? Okay, she is. It just cracks me up. <laughs> I'm never cold, and she's got gloves on in here with her jacket and stuff. That's, um, you know what they say, cold hands, warm heart, and that's true in her life. That's definitely it. By the way, whose seat am I sitting in over here? There's always, the, you know, people always have their same seat every, come on, come on. Whose seat am I sitting in right here? There you go. It's Una. Okay, thank you. I just wanted to thank whomever it was that I was taking your seat because I know every Sunday you've got your same spot and you came in you went, oh, who's that? You know? <laughs> but she knows me. So, okay, here's the question. What, what are we doing up here? Why is Wellspring up here? Why are we joining you guys? Besides the fact that you've made, uh, made us feel very welcome and, and you have this potluck plan for us and stuff, we, we are just so thankful and you, you obviously have just made us welcome. But what are we doing here? Why are we here? Anybody know? I mean, we got a place to worship down in, in uh, Marino Valley. And we could be down there. So what are we doing up here, right? There you go. Thank you. Somebody got it. Um, for those of you who don't know, Rob, Pastor Rob, Pastor Jeff, um, where's Ed? Ed and Una, I don't know if you, do you call him pastor up here? What do you call him? Your Royal Highness? I don't know what you guys... So I don't know the titles. You know, Ed and Una and Joe and Linda. There are several of us that get together about once every five or six weeks, um, kind of on, on a fairly regular basis, along with uh, Crestline Baptist. And we get together and we have like what we call a coaching time. It's team coaching where we kind of encourage one another. Because we are trying to do something different uh, as a church. We are trying to capture primitive Christianity. We are trying to go back to what Jesus called the church to be. Because the reality is, guys, the church in America today, if you look at what we call church, it's not the way Jesus called it to be. Have you guys discovered that? Let me just, let me just remind you just briefly. Can I just, okay, I was just thinking about this passage as, as we were worshiping together. And I want to just kind of share with you guys what church was about to Jesus. You remember when, when he was teaching and preaching in Galilee, he had this huge crowd of followers. But everywhere he went, there were these people. But that was not enough for him. He, he didn't sit on the side of a mountain and say, Hey, everybody, come hear me preach. That's not how he wanted to impact the world. I'm going to just share with you what he did to try to impact the world, even before his death, burial, and resurrection. Um, in, in Luke chapter 10... It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Question, <laughs> is that still true today? Is the harvest in your town plentiful, and the workers are still few? Okay? The harvest is plentiful, and I think it's getting even more plentiful as the end times are rolling around here. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So he said, go, hide in these great big buildings and sing songs together and hear a great sermon together and protect yourselves because there's a bunch of evil people out there. And when you get really big, put it on TV so that if somebody happens to be stumbling through between football games on Sunday morning, they might see you preaching in that great big building that you have and say, wow, there must be a God. 
Doesn't that sound bizarre? And isn't that what we're doing? And I say we, meaning the Christian church in America today. We're trying to do something different. Listen to what Jesus said. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. He said, go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Notice that. He didn't say, pray like mad that they would come in. Build a big building. Provide parking lots. Provide anonymity so they can sneak in the back door and leave. And be very comfortable with that. Provide broadcast television. Provide the best children's program. No, he didn't say that. He said, you go. You go. Go, he said. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Meaning, it's not going to be that easy. He says, don't take a purse or a bag or sandals. And do not greet anyone on the road. He's saying, don't get distracted from what I'm telling you to do. He says to do what? When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. When's the last time you got a raise? Oh, and never mind. That's another story. Um, anyway, <laughs> do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. See, do you see what Jesus did here? He said, guys, here's the plan. We've got all these followers. I've got all these people following me. It is now time to go into the world because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. So here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to go into the towns and villages. And he sent them out two by two to support one another. And he said, I want you to go to the towns and villages. I want you to go to the house where there was a man of peace. A man of peace is the guy that had his relationship with God. It was the man who was the God-fearer, who believed that there was the one true God. Maybe he was Jewish. And go into that house. And if he is, the man of peace is there. If, he, if he's there, he will welcome you. He will, he will show you hospitality. And then what do you do? You stay there. Why? Because you're going to impact that community, that neighborhood, that area from that house. He said, don't go from house to house. Just stay there and impact that community. Do you, do you see the pattern here? And if you follow through the entire New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, what you will find is that that's the pattern that continued after the death, burial, and resurrection. He said, you guys now have my Holy Spirit. I want you to do this. You go. And that is exactly what the early church did. They didn't big, build big buildings and say, hey, everybody, come and let's worship together. They went into the community. They went into the home. And they impacted their neighborhood for Christ. See, this is a life group-centered church. You call them life groups here? Or cells or whatever? We're, yeah, we're a life group-centered church also. And unfortunately, we're unusual. We're weird. Some of us are more weird than others. And I wear that proudly. You know, I'm a peculiar person for Jesus. But, I mean, the point that I'm saying is we're different. Sunday morning is what we call celebration. Because church is not about Sunday morning. 
Church goes on all the time in all kinds of neighborhoods and through all kinds of life groups. And what we do on Sunday morning is gather those cells together, gather those life groups together as the body of Christ, and we celebrate our lives together in Jesus. Amen? And we can do that in Reno Valley. And we can do it in Big Bear. And we can do it wherever we are. See, no matter where we are, we're part of the same family of God. Amen? Isn't that awesome? That's what we're doing here. Is we, where's Kirk? There he is. Kirk, when we were up here for our encounter retreat, he says, if we really believe this, this is, it's his fault that we're here. He said, if we really believe it, why don't we do it? And we said, okay, yeah, let's do it. And Rob, Pastor Rob said, yeah, let's do it. And that's why we're here this today. It's because we're trying to live what we say we actually believe. Let me, let me tell you about something. Let me tell you about a, a couple in my, my neighborhood. There's a young lady. Just a kid. Anyway, there's this, there's this lady, in, there's this lady in, in our neighborhood. Her name's Kim and her husband, Dick. And we, when we moved into, the, when my wife and I were married, got it, I went into the neighborhood. I'm Pastor Eric. I want to reach my neighbors for Christ. And I was doing things the old way. And I was praying for my neighbors, praying for my neighbors, inviting them to come with us to church, inviting them to come with, on Sunday mornings to church. We had other neighbors. You know, there's Betty up the street who was a nominal Catholic who really doesn't know Jesus. And, you know, inviting her and her, her husband to try to come to church. Inviting these people. You know how many people we got in our neighborhood to come to church? Anybody want to guess? Zero. I know what I'm doing. I have a master's degree in this stuff. I know what I'm doing. I can't get these people to even come to church with me. The harvest is plentiful. I'm a worker in the harvest making no progress. For over two years, we prayed for Kim. We prayed for our neighborhood. We just kept praying and praying. Funny thing happened. We got involved with Joel, with Wellspring, Joel Comiskey, who's our main coach guy, and we started a life group in our neighborhood. Guess who one of the first people to show up into our home was? Kim. Kim. Guess who's going to be leading the new life group that we have at my house that's been going now for several years? Anybody want to guess? I'll, I'll give you one guess. If you get it wrong, there's the door. Leave. You're just not paying attention. No, seriously. Who's going to be leading my life group so I can go out and multiply and start another one? Anybody want to guess? Kim. Isn't that amazing? Let me tell you about another life group. We have a life group down in El Cajon. Anybody know where El Cajon is? Yeah. East of San Diego. We have a life group down there. My mom started. Because that's where I'm from. My mom started this life group. She's like, I think I should do this, but I don't know who to invite. My sister got cancer. She had six months to live. Now let me tell you about my sister. My sister got saved at the age of 44 when I was leading a third grade Bible study at a youth group, or at a, 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 what they call it, vacation Bible school. My sister understood Jesus at a third grade level. She got saved when I gave an altar call to third graders. And she told me afterwards, I love my sister dearly, but we had not been seeing a lot of each other. She told me afterwards, Eric, this is the first day in 30 years I've been sober. In 30 years, from the age of 14 to 44, she never was sober one day. Put a drug, a drink, anything in front of her. She was there. Okay, now I want you to just listen to this. A little over four years ago, she was diagnosed with cancer. 
stage four. Doctors gave her six months to live. A little over four years ago. She's going to go home. She's going to be with the Lord. But the neatest thing happened. My mom started this life group. She had nobody. But she knew she wanted to do this life group. It's one of our larger life groups. <laughs> they have anywhere from 10 to 12, 14 people. You know who the people are? They're all my sister's old druggie friends. When my sister got saved, she started going to church every once in a while. She kept inviting these druggie friends to church. How many of them do you think she got to come to church with her? Anybody? 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 Zero. Not one. That house, my mom's house, my mom caught something that I would do a lot of times, you know. And to build a life group, you want to start a life group, and you want to get it going, serve them pasta. It's cheap. That's what gets your life group off the ground, God-ordained pasta. Anyways, <laughs> I think that came from St. Peter in Rome or something. Um, but my, my, my point is my mom started that. Now, she doesn't have to do that anymore. The life group is going strong, and there are just a bunch of these druggies. I mean, they don't have teeth because of all the crystal meth. They don't, they're, they're dying at the age of 55. They're like 90-year-olds wobbling in, hobbling in, you know, getting saved, getting baptized, getting, getting filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and no other way to reach them. Here's the crazy thing. I don't think any of them have ever gone into a big Sunday morning building. And they are there faithfully at church every week at my mom's house for life. That's church. That's the family of God. You guys get in the picture here? See, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. That's what we're doing. My wife and I have a, we call her her surrogate daughter and her surrogate granddaughter. They're in Germany right now. This young lady named Carol. She was a friend of my daughter's. Very distant friend, actually. My daughter ran into her found out she was six weeks pregnant, unmarried, didn't know what to do, didn't have a clue what to do. She had people telling her to get an abortion. She had people telling her to you know, give the baby for adoption. She had people you know, telling her all these different things, and she's freaking out. She doesn't know what to do. You know what my daughter did? Come to our life group. Carol became probably the most faithful attender of our life. She became our family. That's what church is supposed to be. Do you guys know that? Church is supposed to be family. Okay? And I don't mean just this family here. When you have a life group in your home, those people become like family because they are family. And Carol has a beautiful daughter. We took her all the way through the pregnancy. My wife was in her delivery room. I was outside passing out cigars or whatever that, you know. But <laughs> not really. <laughs> I was outside praying for her. Um, Carol's now in Germany because she went on a YWAM trip and just loved Europe so much she came home and said, I can't stay here in America. She just has this affinity, and she hooked up with a family over there from YWAM, and now she's going over there because they're going to pay for her to become to study in school and try to become a doctor. And she has dreams of being a medical missionary. You see what happens in life groups? 
The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. If we do it Jesus' way, we actually get people to come. And you know what's really awesome? Sometimes they even come to worship like this. I just want to encourage you guys along those lines. I'm done. I'm not preaching, brother. I just want to encourage you guys along. Don't lose that. Don't lose what you guys are doing here. One of the things that's so dangerous is it's, it's, if you go out and you start that life group and it doesn't work and it's not all that you thought it would be, it's so easy in the back of your mind to think, we should just go back to doing Sunday morning church, program church. I came from a church. I pastored a church for over 20 years in San Diego where I worked my tail off, prayed like mad, got to the place where we had about 500 people, and that church was nothing, nothing like Wellsburg as far as depth and intimacy and the family atmosphere. At best, I could get about 30% of our people to attend what we called friends' home groups. Because where do you think the emphasis was? It was all on Sunday morning. It was all on Sunday morning. The basic ABCs, attendance on Sunday morning, building programs, and cash in the offering plate. ABCs, attendance, buildings, and cash. That's how we measured our success. Guess what? Success is not that. Success is, are you building the family of God? Are you impacting your neighborhood? Let me tell you about one last person. Two doors down from us. There was a hard case, a guy named Ron, that we prayed for and prayed for and prayed for. And he had nothing, wanted nothing to do with God. Ron got cancer. Ron died recently. And let me tell you Ron's secret. This one will challenge you guys. Our neighborhood, our life group, prayed for Ron. We would go sit in his driveway at nights on those warm summer nights and talk with him. I actually got to pray with him in the VA hospital when he prayed to receive Christ. And about two months later, 13 ICE agents showed up at his door. came in wearing bulletproof vests and guns. And they hauled him away because of the child pornography that was involved in his computer. We go out like sheep among wolves. I don't know where Ron is today. Depends, honestly. Depends how gracious I think Jesus is that day. There are some days I thank God because he prayed to receive Christ and God can forgive that. Do you guys know that God can even forgive that and overcome that? And there are some days I just think, man, he hid out in his house. But you know, when he died, his parents contacted me because nobody in his family knows about this. His church family. But nobody knows about this in his own his parents contacted me and said, would you please do his funeral? Because 
he spoke very highly of you, Pastor. What do you do when somebody asks you to do that in that situation? I did his funeral. You know what I talked about? I talked about what a privilege it was to know him and to be able to pray with him to receive Jesus because Jesus is a gracious, gracious God who forgives all our sins. And I never said a word. I just invited other people to put their trust in Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Anybody have a chance? Give me a percentage chance that Ron would have come to Sunday church. Anybody? Zero. You getting the theme here? You getting the theme God's developing here? Oh, let me check my note. No, I don't have any notes. I'm sorry. There's this theme that God's showing us over and over again is that we can actually impact the community and reach out to the impossible people. And the way to do it is the way that Jesus said to do it. You go into the town. You find the house of peace. You set your roots down in the house of peach, and you spread out and you spread your nets into that neighborhood. You spread your nets into that neighborhood, and God will bring in through us the people that we want to reach. Amen? Amen. Thank you for having us up here. Yes, it's on. I got a red light. Just in one, two. I'll just flip it to my nose. Yeah. 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 You know, 2,000 years ago, they were probably as dysfunctional as we are today, but they stayed in their family units. And I think that's one of the big downfalls of where we're at in society is we've, we've spread out so much. We're having to recreate something that I don't believe was ever intended by God to recreate. We're recreating oikos, recreating family settings, and it's because we come from brokenness and hurts, and then we move away and we get isolated, and that's exactly where the devil wants us. He wants us isolated. He wants us to live life and Christianity on our own, and, and we need to continue to do this and get healthy, join together in, uh, in these family relationships. And so we're going to continue to do this. And it's uncomfortable because you're coming in as an adult often into this relationship of family. And you have to let your guard down and you have to answer the questions, am I going to really let them know about me? Am I going to really open myself up so that people can know the real me? And I encourage us as, as we continue down this lifestyle of living in unity, living in community, that we would more and more open ourselves up. So a lot of us still do, we do life groups. Say, I love life groups. I like to go and 
but I don't talk about myself and I really don't open up, but I just really enjoy the fellowship and that's a good start, but you're really going to find the same results long-term, brokenness, isolation. We want to press into these things. We want to find the health and healing that God wants to bring. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about this morning. It can kind of continue on what we've been doing here, but talking about the Father heart of God and bringing wholeness and, and health. And, and uh, we need to receive an offering before I, get, I forget that. I, I just like to forget. We don't charge rent. Wellspring, please just give it home church. But we're going to receive an offering as we can go into the message here, as we continue to worship this way. I'm going to pray for the... Uh, Praise the offering as the gentlemen come, and we want to continue to reach out into the world and continue the service of the Lord here in Big Bear. But Father, we thank you for uh, this word this morning. God, we thank you for bringing us together to celebrate what you're doing in our families. God, I pray that you would in, encourage us through the word, and Lord, as we give into the offering this morning, I just pray that you would multiply it, receive it as a, as a sacrifice, but as a joyful giving and celebration. Father, to you, as we continue to worship you with our finances this morning, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Who smells the food? Does anyone? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to lose most of you. Now we're, you know, there was a word this morning, this really hasn't to, to do with my, my message, but I, I want to point it out real quick. Did you hear kind of the urgency I'm coming, the urgency. And, you know, on the one side, they've been saying he's coming back for 2,000 years, predicting that, that he was coming imminently. And so here we are 2,000 years later. We say, is, he, is he right here or not? It sure seems like it. And did anyone happen to see, I believe it was the most recent Newsweek cover. And if you saw it, you know what it was. I wish I would have gotten a picture on it. Yeah, Josh saw it. Profile of Obama, this way. Caption, second coming. Second coming. We are in way crazy times. And, and we're people rising up and, and allowing him to rise up. I haven't heard if there's going to be any backlash about that. But that's, wow. All the more that we need to be ready. We need to be alert. We need to be living in, in, in this community so that we can be strong. Because we are out there in the world as lambs among the wolves. And, you know, who would agree and say, yeah, I work with a whole bunch of wolves. I mean, it's just, you know, everywhere you go, there it is. Wow. I got the wrong notes. I'm about to preach Brian Taylor's message from being in, in Guatemala, and I could be in real trouble there. That would be really funny. Do we, do we know? We know that he's not coming again. That's not him, but he, the Father. Jesus is going to come back, and do we know him? This morning we want to talk about the Father's love for us continuing on. And it'll, I believe it will tie into some of the words that were given this morning. Think back to the song that we have all sung as young children in, in kids' ministry and vacation Bible school. Jesus loves me 
This I know, for the Bible tells me so. We know that Jesus loves us. We know the love of God. We know the love of the Father because the Bible tells us so. Unfortunately, that hasn't impacted us like it needs to. We, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But I think by and large, we don't understand the love of God enough to have changed our life. And that's where we're, we, we're going to continue to press into this in our life groups, to understand the love of God. Because if I could do a blind survey and have everyone close their eyes and no one was looking and say, who really, really feels loved by God and raise your hand, not every hand would go up. We struggle with really that understanding of, does God really love me? So the first part of this message this morning is, yes, the Bible tells us so, but the question is, will we believe it? We have to believe that God loves us. We have to believe that Jesus loves us. Jeremiah 31.3. I love Jeremiah. There's so many great parts in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 31.3, says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. He loves us. The God of the Bible, even the God who hates sin, and punishes disobedience, loves us because he loves his creation. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. We need to really work through this issue of believing God when he says, I love you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Immediately, things begin to well up in us, but not me. You don't love me. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He gave His Son when we were yet unsaved. That means He loved you in your sin. He loved me in my sin. Not just through Christ. He really loves us. I'm going to give just a few scriptures. We're going to, these are just to help. God, help me to see this and truly believe it. I want to go to to a, a great passage. It's in Zephaniah. Not a book we're in very often. Just before Haggai. Right towards the middle there. When we think of the love of God, and, and we talked about this last week, a week before, God reveals himself as daddy, as, his, as our Abba, as our Papa. And I, I think back, especially even now, I'm real affectionate with my kids. All my kids, they all still like to hug me. Even my 16-year-old, when he goes to bed, he comes up and he hugs us goodnight. Zachary, he still likes to hug us. And, and you know, my, my boy Samuel and Madeline, we cuddle in bed and we read stories and, we, and they kiss me and we kiss and we're affectionate. I love my kids and I think they love me so far. You know, when they get older, I'll pay for their counseling because they'll have all their daddy issues because we all have. But for now, they love me where we've got this relationship and it's so incredibly sweet. I think that's the relationship God wants to have with us. God wants to have that sweet relationship with us. And I 
I just light up when I think about my kids. They're just, they amaze me. You know, all four, when they were born, I just would break down as in the, in the birthing room. I just, I love my children. I love to sit with them and, and read with them. And I'm a, I'm a bad dad sometimes, and I neglect them, and I get into those bad ruts, but I love my kids. When I think of the Father heart of God, I go, man, I'm an evil man compared to God, and yet I know the love I have for my kids. If God is so much better than I, if he's got the capacity beyond mine to love, then what is his love for me? When, I, when my kids are bad, and sometimes they're just bad, they're naughty, I still love them. I love them all the time. God loves us. And in Zephaniah 3, I don't like the English translations very much of this, this verse because I think we were too conservative. And I'm going to read it in, out of the New King James, but I'm going to tell you what I really believe the, the Hebrew was trying to get, and I think that in the original context they understood it much better than we do. The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. And that's really pretty good. He was going to rejoice over you with gladness. He's glad and he's rejoicing over you, over me. It says he will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And I mean, that, I mean that's good. That's really good. I mean, he's rejoicing over us and he's singing and it's, it's really good. But when you go into the Hebrew and read what he's trying to sing there, it says the word, the one word, the, the second one, rejoice in 17. It says, He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. That word rejoice means spinning around. I mean, it means spinning around. And I get a picture maybe of him holding us and spinning. I danced with all of my kids. When they were young, I would pick them up and I would spin around and dance with them. And the word literally means spinning around. But the singing there, that they translated singing, really is more of a, a verb that means like creaking or shrilling. Like somebody who's having so much fun they don't know what else to do. That's God rejoicing over us with shrills and singing. And that's because he hates me so much. Because he's so dissatisfied with me because he just can't stand that I blew it again. We have to get a hold of this love of God. It's so beyond our actions. It's unmerited. We say the word for grace is unmerited favor. That's the love of God for us. It's unmerited. So just get over it. He loves you. He loves me. And he wants to sing and spin. And he just does that because he rejoices. And if we can begin to get a hold of this, our lives are going to drastically change. We need to choose to believe it. 
you know, in our life, and this goes into our relationship with God, and because it's bad there, it, 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 it's, it's really the opposite. Because we have so many bad relationships, we go into the bad relationship with God. There are some people this morning, and I want to encourage you to just press into the Lord and hear this message and begin to speak the truth of the word. But you, most of the relationships, there are people, most of your relationships you don't believe are real. There are some people in here that really think nobody likes them. And if somebody says, well, of course they like you. Look at what they just did for you. Your mind, the lies of your mind tell you the reason they gave you a present was because they feel sorry for you. The reason they gave you a present is because they want something from you and you're in this sad place. And, and I, I want to pray with you and for you. Press into the Lord because God wants to heal you of this brokenness. And as we have that in our life, we have that from God. And we say, I'm so unlovable. Nobody loves me. Everybody just wants something from me. God knew you before the foundation of the world. This is before you were formed in the womb. I knew you. He loved you. He loved his plan of you. Oh, Jesus. Jeremiah 1.5 says that. If you're writing notes, you can also write down Ephesians 2.10, but Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. That is incomprehensible to me. I don't get it. How could God know, be, know me before he created me? But he did. And he loved me. And he loved you. And God doesn't make any junk. For you to say you are unlovable means that God created something that's bad. And so really what you're saying is God is not good. No, you are amazing, daughter. You are amazing, son. But we need to believe it and press into that and pray, God, help me. Help me with my unbelief. Help me to know you and your love for me. Bible says we take those we have to take every thought captive and make it obedience obedient to Christ. Have you experienced that love? You know, many of us truly haven't. Not deeply. We're saved. We know that God saved us, but we haven't experienced the love, but that block was because we really don't believe that he loves us. But we're going to be Christians and we're going to try to do this. And again, if I could take the the, the vote, we could get a number of hands would get up and say, to, to say, you know, I serve the Lord, but I don't really know that He loves me, and it's really hard, and I just always fail. And Because we're trying to put the cart before the horse, we need to get the love of God and understand the love of God. And then our life in Christ, all the things, the works, and the, the one another's living those scriptures out they come because we begin to finally understand the love of God for us you know when my children were born they did nothing to gain my love I mean let's be honest they pooped on me 
they threw up on me. I mean, they kept me up for hours and hours and days. They did nothing to earn my love. And yet I love them. I love them. Parents, you're going to get a hold, you get a hold of this just go, wow. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. Got to say that first. There are some babies that are just not good looking. <laughs> Don't look around. But, but I mean, you know, there are sometimes babies are born and, and, you know, you get shown a picture and you're like, oh, <laughs> and you, 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 you just, you, you rejoice with the parents and we all, we lie. We lie. We say, they're so precious. You know, there's, those of us lie easier and those of us have to find the words that work. Precious is a word that always works. So precious. Because you couldn't say beautiful. But, but you know what I mean. But do you, re, do you know that they really think that their child is beautiful? Because they are. Right? They're beautiful. You know, God looks at us and says, that's my beautiful, precious child, and I love you. Believe it. And when you begin to feel unworthy, say, you know, I am unworthy, but he still loves me. And as we begin to do that, we'll experience more often the love of God. We have to train ourselves to experience his love. Because we won't if we don't. We need to take a moment as you're driving. To just briefly look, don't look too long, at creation and the trees. As you guys drove up from Moreno Valley, wasn't it beautiful? You come up, start getting into the trees and the snow, and it's like, wow. He's good. And he gave that creation for you to enjoy. And you've got to get to that place where you say, okay, I'm going to really work hard at this. I'm going to not be woe is me. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll eat some worms and die. Get out of that for a minute and go, you know, there's some people out there who've really showed kindness to me. And God created them and he put them in your life to show kindness. He's given you family. Sometimes your family is messed up, but in every family, I, I, I can't believe there's not one person in, a, in every messed up family who... Who, who doesn't love you. There's somebody who loves you. There's that spark. You need to look for those things and say, you know what? They love me. Look at the provision. Even if finances are down, you go, you know, but I'm still eating. In fact, I could not eat for a long time and I'd be fine. <laughs> the opportunities. How about the close calls in your life? Go back. If you could just put that tape back and then say, Oh, remember that time. And I, I ride motorcycles, and I've had some close calls over those times. And I'm sure Eric has, too. In fact, we need to go riding maybe one day together. He's got a real motorcycle. But 
you know, close calls and you go, I don't know how I made it out of that. Now, us guys, we say that's because I'm such a good writer. And you say, no, God was pushing you all around the road and saving you. Look for those things. You go, man, that was a close call. God was looking out for you. And we need to purposefully listen. Listen to his voice. We need to listen through the word of God. Get rid of the filter that we put on and listen to the words as we just read. I have loved you with an everlasting love. It doesn't say but. Jason friend said, get your butt out of there. Don't get it in there anymore. I have loved you with, and listen to his word. Listen to his word. In fact, it's even a good practice. Those scriptures that maybe you're having a hard time believing, put those on the audio Bible. Let them read to you and really listen to them. Crawl up into his lap and hang out, and that's a hard thing to do. Quiet yourself long enough in the word and just to sit and listen to him. Listen to him say, I love you. Get with other believers as they would encourage you to know and feel the love of God. See the love of God manifested in their life and realize that the Bible says that he is not a respecter of persons. So go to somebody and say, man, I can see the goodness of God in your life. I can, I, it's amazing what just happened to you. can't believe you got that job after all that time. God is really looking out for you and say, wait a second. He's not a respecter of persons. He loves me too. He doesn't just love you. He loves me. And this is such a, a path that we have to work on and keep pressing into God. So we have to overcome the brokenness. We need to pray and ask for His healing in that brokenness. In the last part of the message, I'm just going to hit it briefly because I don't want it to, to turn around and do what we've done for so many years and do so often. The last part is, as that begins to happen, as we begin to believe it, and then we'll begin to experience it, then we need to begin to live like it. See, if I spend too much time on the live like it, though, we're all going to be encouraged to go out and do the things for God and impress Him and love people and win the lost and do all these things, but it's going to come out of an empty vat. It's going to come out of empty and brokenness, and it needs to come out of that place that says, God loves me and God loves you. Our work should be coming out of that place in our relationship of God, and that's why so often we fail. We fail. We can never live up. We try so hard to live up to what the Bible says we should do and we can never make it. So often it's because we just don't really know God like we need to. Matthew's been learning how to drive. My hair has been going grayer. <laughs> And there's been some really close calls. It just happens. And I have, I've lost it a few times, and I've yelled, you know, a few times. But, but when I'm, I, I'm in control, and he makes a mistake, I just love him and encourage him. I don't expect him to drive well yet. He's just learning. 
I, don't, I think you'd be the same with your kids. When they're young, just that you finally take them out of that little rolling around walker thing and you put them down, you don't expect them to run across the house. You hope for the one step and when they fall, you don't say, can't believe you fell. Just, just love them. And they just go, They, they, they love that praise. Come on. Come on. That's what, that's what God's asking us to do. He says, love your neighbor. And we should go. He says, good job. You didn't flip him off this time. just growing. We're going to fail. He's going to pick us back up. But we have to have that connection with God because otherwise every time we feel like a failure and we, we put ourselves down and we can't love people enough because they're just so unlovely and I'm so unworthy and I can't love and I can't, I can't conquer this sin. It puts it into the right perspective. Even the sins when you could, God loves me so much and he says that I should love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if I know that this displeases him, then I should give it up for him. And it changes the reason why we do things. From thou shalt not to why would you want to anyways. And what a change in our life. Why would I want to anyways? You know, it's not that good. Well, we start living like the difference between being in love, which is what most of us did when we got saved. We fell in love with God. We went crazy. We acted like a nut. I mean, you know, it was pretty, you know, when I got saved, it was just, it was just kind of that. That's what happens when you get fall in love, right? You act weird. You're giddy. But if that in love doesn't change to a deep, mature love, what happens? It just dies. Relationship breaks up. Woe to those people who got married before that could happen. Because they were in love and they got married and then they never had a mature love and they've been struggling ever since. And, and you know, that in love is wonderful. It's fun. It's giddy. It's great. I mean, everything, I mean, it's true. Everything tastes better. Everything looks better. Everything's brighter. You know, I mean, you can tell when somebody just fell in love, too. They just come in. They have the dopey look on their face. <laughs> and that's great. But if that doesn't ever change to the deep, mature love that, that we have with God, and we're supposed to have with a spouse, then, then it's not going to last. And we're going to have issues in our relationship that deep understanding that even in God, it's not always all good. You know, that if you got saved, if you heard that, you thought, you thought a lot. Just accept Christ in your life. That's not it. But when you understand that, yeah, that love, 